You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. But on our celebration uh, weekend coming up November 18th and 19th, we're going to be doing a number of things uh, that weekend that before uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to be returning and, and praying for these shoeboxes to be sent all over the world. Uh, we're going to be celebrating what God has done uh, in the life of the church this year. We're going to be celebrating uh, some leaders that will be confirmed to uh, lead in the, in the coming year. Uh, we're going to also have a special offering, and uh, that special offering will have a mission component that we'll talk more about next week. It will also uh, be a way for us to continue to enhance what we're doing here at Southwest, and so we'll talk more about that next week. We want to encourage you to be praying about that and be praying about how you can be a part of Celebration Weekend in every way. This weekend, we're going to be continuing a series of messages entitled, Go Fish, which is how uh, what we've been exploring of how we can be more effective in fishing for men and women, fishing for people to lead them to know about Jesus in a very practical way for us to live out our vision statement to be a church that's really serious about bridging the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope. And our heart's desire is not simply to be a church that displays a vision statement about hope and talk about hope on uh, Sunday mornings, but we want to be a church that lives that out in our heart throughout the week. We want to be a church that lives that out throughout the year in very practical, meaningful ways. And we hope that you'll uh, be a part of praying for that to be a reality. Let's, Let's go ahead and pray at this time. Dear God, thank you for just what a great God you are. And Father, uh, I was moved by that song we sang this morning, just celebrating your faithfulness. And God, you truly are a faithful God. Thank you. Thank you for how you never let us down and how your promises are always true and how we can truly trust in you. I pray, Father, that you will just be at work through your spirit to to give me the words to say and to point everyone that's gathered here today to to truly put our trust in you. And I pray, Father, that we'll leave here with a determination to be faithful to the God that is faithful to us. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this week's message is entitled, muddy waters. And we're hoping through the course of this message to to make that which can be confusing, we hope to make crystal clear. The focus of this weekend, the focus of our small groups this coming week is to have a clear, simple message of hope that we can share with those that right now are not in a relationship with Christ. You know, as you can see on the walls that uh, we've got these circles, we've talked about that throughout the series, and the blue circles represent the 60,000 plus people that live within five miles of this building that 
presently are not connected to a church. We really want to reach out to them. And not only connect them to a church, but, but connect them to Jesus Christ so that they can have real hope. And yet, we want to make sure that we have a clear message regarding the good news of Jesus so that they can truly have hope. You see, for the person who's right now far away from God and not connected to Christ or His church, undoubtedly, it's got to be confusing to them of what is the Christian message because there's so many different things you hear out there taught by different churches, taught by different televangelists on radio programs, maybe even they overhear at work from friends that go to church. And at times, it's probably very, very confusing. It's muddy, the waters. And yet, we want to make sure that this weekend that we hold up, and as a church, we want to make sure throughout the week that we hold up to people a a very clear message that And if you're taking notes in the message notes, that first blank is that God's love is clear. In the midst of maybe some confusion, we want to make sure that we keep that message clear and simple. That truth is is stated in probably the most famous Bible verse, John 3.16. And we're going to read this morning both John 3.16 but also John 3.17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, as clear as this statement is, and this is the primary focus this week of, of, in our small groups, yet there are some important questions that would be good for us to seek to clarify this morning. Here's some questions for you to think about. How do we respond to God's unconditional love? God's love is there. It's unconditional. But the question is, how do we respond to that in an appropriate way? Secondly, how do we demonstrate our trust in Jesus, that one and only Son who's a gift from God? And thirdly, how can we have that eternal hope and assurance, that confidence that we are in a right relationship with Christ, and because of that, we can have confidence for eternity? I want to encourage you this week, even if you haven't yet participated in one of the small groups, to jump in. You know, each of these Uh, discussions are independent of each other and enough that you could jump in on any week and you would get a great deal out of it. And let me just uh, give you a a, a real quick overview of what happens in small groups. You, You get a group of believers together that pray together, they read from the Bible together, they talk about practically how do you apply these teachings to our lives. And yet in this series of small groups. We've also been watching a 15, uh, approximately 15-minute inspirational devotional from a uh, pastor and author from the Atlanta area named Andy Stanley. Now, Andy Stanley, who, uh, in my opinion, is just a fantastic communicator, and uh, I'm eager to learn from him. I've subscribe to one of his podcasts and on leadership, and, and he just does a great job in teaching. 
And this week in the small group 15-minute DVD, he makes some excellent points. And I want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to, to watch that. And yet I wanted to expound a bit on his teaching and personalize a powerful illustration he uses. Now, small group leaders, I've, I've tried really hard during this series not to, not to steal or borrow from any of his comments so that the small groups are, are really new and fresh. And, and yet today, I just want to lean in a little bit to one of his illustrations, and I'm going to take it in a different direction than he does, so you can still go to small group knowing you're going to hear something different. You see, on on stage behind me, and maybe some of you got your hopes up when you came in here and you thought you were going to have some team teaching today, but, but really this is for sake of illustration. Okay, we got two chairs up here, and I wanted to talk a little bit about each of the chairs. This, this first chair that maybe some of you have a little more difficulty seeing is a chair that, that Jane's parents gave to us a number of years ago. It's an old chair. Uh, it's been reupholstered and and it's, I think it's a very attractive chair. It's got this cool uh, music uh, symbol there on the back, and it's probably, it's handmade, probably, I don't know. It's old. Uh, but I want to just be honest with you about it. I don't really trust sitting in that chair, okay? Um, there's some cracks on the seams, okay? We've even had to glue it back together. And... Um, I have to confess, though, even in that, as, as our small group grows that meets in our home on Sunday evenings, um, there's sometimes that we sit it out for people to sit in. But you'll notice if you've ever been a part of one of the small groups, I never sit in that chair, okay? Well, that's not probably good of me, but that's the truth. And so because of that, and by the way, this chair reminds me of another chair that Jay and I own. So you see, when Jay and I first were married, uh, uh, we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was a campus minister for a church in Louisville. And uh, I reached out to college students at the University of Louisville. And uh, we lived uh, just south of the downtown area in a section of town called Old Louisville, and it was old, okay? It was the old houses of the turn of the, the uh, 20th century there. And, um, and because of that, uh, our landlord had, had divided it up into different apartments. And Jane and I were newlyweds. We didn't have much. And uh, we lived in, in the top apartment. It was really an efficiency apartment. There were no hallways. I mean, it was kind of a fun apartment. You could give a quick tour. There's the kitchen, there's the bathroom, and there's the bedroom. You've just seen the apartment. Uh, but um, we, we, we had our di- first dining room table and chairs set was uh, something that Jane had picked up at a garage sale. And um, that's what we had. And so as a, as a campus minister, every week we had a a small group in our home of college students, and they'd get together and we'd read the Bible and talk about and apply it to our life. Well, we'd set out, we didn't have much furniture, we'd set out the dining room chairs for people to sit in. Now, I have to tell you about one of the college students that came to that small group. His name was Dane, okay? And uh, I'm still in touch with Dane after all these years. Good guy, good guy. And if he happens to listen to this podcast... Dane, I love you, but I have to tell you the story. Anyways, he's he's a li- was a little bit of a goofy college student, okay? 
little bit awkward. He's one of those kids that just, he would say things and sometimes it would come out awkward, but we all loved him. And he tended to be a little bit long-winded, okay? Just be really honest. So one week, he's sitting in one of our dining room chairs, bought at a garage sale, pretty old, pretty worn. And he's making a long comment, and as he wrapped it up kind of in his awkward manner, he'd say, and that's all I got to say about it. At that very precise moment, that chair split in two, and he fell to the ground. Now, we all gasped, and we weren't an uncaring bunch, so we said, you know, are you okay, Dane? And, of course, in his awkward self, he got up, I'm just fine, I'm just fine. And then we all just broke up laughing, okay? I mean, it was just hilarious. Now, needless to say, from that point on, we glued it back together. We kept using it. But uh, needless to say, people were a little bit nervous of sitting in our chairs, you know, just kind of like maybe on the edge, make sure you got your weight balanced so that in case anything happened, it's not too awkward. The other chair I've got here is this nice new chair that, We've got out in our cafe. It's made out of metal. It's real firm. I trust this chair. You know, I'm, I'm willing to put my full weight into this chair. Not so much this one. Now, some of you might say, well, what does this have to do with John 3.16? I think it has everything to do with John 3.16. Let's go back and read verse 16 again. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's this phrase in this most famous verse, the phrase believes in, which is underlined there on your screen that you see behind me. That phrase believes in isn't just an intellectual assent that, yes, there is a God, yes, there is this Savior named Jesus. We're going to learn this week in small group that 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 phrase, believe in, means trust in. That's what the word literally means. If you look it up in the Greek, it's not just intellectual belief, it's trust. Whoever trusts in him. It's this idea that you're willing to put your full weight into who you believe and what you believe Jesus is all about. It's a type of trust that that means you don't hold back. You're not just on the edge kind of making you're not quite sure. You're really willing to lean in with all your weight. So the question this weekend, have you come to truly trust in God's one and only Son? Now, this will be the focus of this week's small group, and and yet I found myself as I watched the DVD, and there's a lot of great points, but I, I, I found myself wanting the speaker to go into more practical detail. What does it mean to truly trust in Jesus? So the rest of our time together, I want to I briefly share with you four practical, clear ways that you can demonstrate that you 
truly have this type of complete trust that you're willing to put your full weight into the person of Jesus Christ. Now, in Southwest, here at the lobby and also over at the Y, and I'm grateful the director lets us do this, we make available every week these free copies of the Bible. It's actually just the New Testament portion of the Bible. And it's, it's the New Living Translation version. It's a, just a real easy-to-read uh, Bible for people that are new to it. On the very cover, it says, Experiencing the Presence of God in Everyday Life. Now, maybe some of you didn't know this, but in each of these New Testaments that we give away free here at the YMCA, we also put a little note card in there, and it's entitled Experiencing a Relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, maybe some of you didn't realize that, but we just scattered throughout the the audience here these cards, every other seat, so that you could see these cards. And I wanted to walk through that card that we've made available for years uh, in our the free Bibles we give away because we want to make sure that as we share God's Word with others that we're consistently teaching as a church what it means to have a very, very appropriate human response to God's unconditional love in Christ. So let's walk through that fairly quickly, but yet I hope in a way that's very meaningful to you. It begins with first simply resolving to believe, to believe in Jesus and his promise of new life. Now, we just finished reading from John 3.16, but it's important, I believe, when you read Scripture to read it in the context it's written. So, in fact, in in our small groups, we're encouraging our small group leaders to read the entire chapter of John uh, chapter 3, at least the first 21 verses to get the whole sense of what's happening there, okay? Uh, but earlier in John's gospel, in John chapter 1, he had these words to say. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband will, but born of God. You see, to receive this free gift of salvation, it begins with belief. It begins with truly believing in Jesus and this promise of new life that he offers. Now, it's important to understand that the word, this word belief includes this concept of trust. And, and yet, when it comes to trust, I don't believe that that means that to trust in Jesus means you don't have any questions. In my own personal life, I, I've struggled to develop a personal faith. I've shared with you that when I was younger, I had some pretty intense struggles with faith. You see, I wrestled with whether or not these things that are taught in the Bible are really true. You see, I had, and I believe I still have, an a analytical honestly, a skeptical at times, questioning mind. As a student of mathematics, I had this incredible desire for everything to equal out or to balance out. And in my own life, when things don't equal out, when things don't balance out, it really bothers me. So when I was younger, I really wrestled with questions like, how can I know that the Bible is really true? How can I know that Jesus is really who he claimed 
to be and who the Bible claims him to be. A question that I wrestled with for years, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? I didn't understand it. I just couldn't grasp. It didn't make sense to me. And honestly, growing up, I didn't have the courage to ask that question, but I would sit in church every week with my parents, and I'd say, I don't get it. I don't understand why Jesus had to die on a cross. And then when I was in college, I I really wrestled with, you know, I know my parents believe this, and I know that other people that I grew up going to church with believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but I asked myself, do you really believe that? And then I wrestled and I thought, is this just a fairy tale that's been passed on? Is it just a myth that people have bought into or, or do I really believe it? And, and, and in fact, I came to a point as a 19-year-old that I said, I'm either going to believe this with all of my heart. I'm going to believe it so much so that I can put my whole weight on it or I'm just going to chuck the whole thing and I'm, just, I'm not even going to pretend to be religious. Because I don't want to act like I believe it if I don't really believe it to be true. And so for months, I read and researched and asked the tough questions. And I came to a point where I did truly believe. I did truly believe that that this message is true. I truly believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. I truly believe that the Bible is the written word of God. And because of those things, I said, I'm willing to put my time, my talents, my resources, and later I even changed career paths because I said, I really believe this is true. Now, that doesn't mean that I still don't have questions. In fact, I do. I I have questions that I still wrestle with, and maybe some of you do. And, 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 you know, I I keep trying to understand things, and I keep digging deeper. And, and I mean, either one of these days I'll figure some of these questions out, or maybe when I get to heaven I'll just find out that it's really not that important. I don't know. But, you see, I, I think that we can have questions and be honest about those But then it boils down, do we really believe that the Bible's trustworthy and that the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is true? And if we really believe that's true, even in the midst of some of our questions and doubts, we can truly put our weight into this message. Do you believe? Secondly, we're to respond to God's love with a resolve to repent or turn from your sins, embracing the hope of a new way of life. This was the emphasis of Jesus' teaching when he first began his ministry. In Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 1, this is how he describes Jesus beginning his ministry. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We've talked before that this word repent doesn't simply mean asking for forgiveness or saying you're sorry, but the word repent means to have a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to a change of course, a change of life. It means to turn from sin and turn to a new way of life. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, before, but 
What prevents us from repenting of that which we know is bad or wrong? What, what prevents us from turning from those things in our life that, that we know aren't good for us, we know aren't are wrong, we know aren't pleasing to God? What prevents us from turning from those things into Christ? You see, I, I believe what, what prevents so many people from coming to true repentance is they don't trust that God has something better for them. You see, sometimes we can go through life and we can get sucked into some bad habits and some addictions and sinful practices. And even though if we're really honest with ourselves, those things don't make us happy. And even if we're honest with ourselves, we're really frustrated and we're tired of those things in our life. But at least we know those things and at least we are comfortable with that way of life. You see, it takes trust to say, I'm going to give up that which is comfortable, that which I know, for something that I don't know. It takes trust to say, I believe that God has something better for me. And by the way, I think it's important for us to understand that repentance is not just a one-time decision. I can think back in my life when I came to that initial decision that I needed to turn away from sinful practices and sinful habits in my life. Yes, there was an initial point where I repented of sin. But I believe as a Jesus follower, I'm called a continual mindset of repentance. You know, just this past week, I I became aware of some ways that I was speaking to other people that wasn't best and wasn't good. I became aware of, of just some attitudes I had that I need to change. You know, I, I have to repent every week. And that's part of what it means to be a Jesus follower is to have this continual mindset of repentance. But to repent, whether it's the first time or whether it, for me it may be the thousandth time or I, I've lost count of how many times. Every time it takes trust that if I give up that which I know and I'm comfortable with and maybe even brings pleasure, I trust that God has something better for me. You see, it takes trust to repent. A third appropriate response to God's love is to confess, to proclaim Jesus is Lord of a new way of life and the leader of your life. While Jesus was on earth, he said in Matthew's gospel, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. We talked a few weeks ago on how how we are to go fish, and it takes guts to fish. It takes guts to share your faith with others. It takes courage to be willing to share with friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers that you really believe in this guy named Jesus and that you're seeking to follow him and that you think he has the answers for life. Have you ever noticed it's easier to talk about faith in generic terms 
to talk about spirituality in general terminology, it's pretty easy. It's even culturally acceptable to say, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And, and I think we can do that and say, well, I shared my faith. But have you ever noticed that it's an altogether different thing to bring up the name of Jesus? I mean, we can talk in terms of God and in kind of a generic way, and that's culturally acceptable. But then when you, when you bring up the name of Jesus, you kind of put yourself out there to confess that you believe he's Lord, that he's the leader of your life. And by the way, what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? That's something we call people to confess here at Southwest when they're initially making a decision to follow Jesus. And I share with people, it's, it's not just some hoop to jump through. It's not just some slogan that we have here at Southwest that we want to encourage people to recite. To make that confession, Jesus is Lord, is powerful. It's saying that, you see, Lord means controller, ruler, king, boss. And to say that Jesus is your Lord says, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to make him the ruler, the leader, the king of my life, and I'll be his subject. I'll be his follower. I'll be his slave. Now, what does it take to make that kind of confession? takes trust, doesn't it? Where you say, I'm going to put my full weight into believing that if I let Jesus lead my life, he'll do a better job than me leading my life. That if I trust that Jesus will be my king, that life will go better. might not be easier, but it'll be the life that God created me to live. Have you confessed Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Have you trusted him enough to do that? You see, I think just like repentance is not just a one-time decision, I think confessing Jesus is Lord is not just a one-time decision. I love the songs we sing where we say, I believe, I believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. You know, and it's pretty easy when you're gathered around other believers, to sing that out and sing it with all your heart. Raise your hand. Sign me up. I believe. How about work on Monday morning? Are we looking for ways to bring up the name of Jesus? Are we eager to look for ways to share how Christ has made a difference in our life? Are we confessing him? In Romans 10, this is a verse we commonly refer to. Jesus says, or Scripture says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Have you trusted Jesus to the point that you've confessed him? Are you continuing to confess him? with your lips, with your life, with your behavior, with your attitude, with your manner of speech, that he is the Lord of your life. And finally, our fourth human response that demonstrates we've truly trusted Jesus is to be baptized into Christ, to experience a new life of freedom. 
here at Southwest, we've consistently taught that we believe this is also an important response to, to God's love. And unfortunately, I don't hear that being taught a lot of times in a lot of places, and yet I believe Scripture's very consistently teaches that. The only gospel writer we haven't heard from this morning is Luke. We've read what Matthew had to say, what Mark had to say, what John had to say. The other gospel writer was Luke, and Luke also wrote a second book called Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And in Acts chapter 2, he records the very first simple, clear gospel message presented by the apostle Peter. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that you can look at any one verse and say, from this one verse, we can, you know, explain in totality what it means to respond to God's love. I'm not even convinced you can just look at one chapter in the Bible and say, this is the the totality of what it means to respond to God's love. But if I had to pick a chapter, it'd probably be Acts chapter 2 because the the context of this is this is about 50 days after Jesus was crucified. This was uh, uh, after the resurrection. And this was actually the first public uh, message about who Jesus is and what he taught and what he was all about. And the Apostle Peter is the spokesman. Last week we looked at how that Peter would be given the keys of the kingdom. And, and in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up in front of thousands of people. And he tells them that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. And yet you crucified him. And that was a strong message. But then he says, God raised him from the dead. And at the end of his message, the crowd responds and says, Peter and brothers, what, what shall we do? How should we respond to this incredible message? And this is what Peter, how Peter responded in Acts 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What are some important things to note here? Peter tells the crowd, uh, and by the way, he told them earlier in his message that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You, you could say that's confession, right? And right before he says this, it's, the Scripture says that they were cut to the heart. They had come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then they said, how should we respond? And Peter concludes with, repent and be baptized. And Peter states clearly that those who respond in this way, those who believe, those who are willing to call on the name of the Lord, those who repent and those who are baptized, that they can have complete assurance that their sins are forgiven and they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, salvation. Now, some have asked, why baptism? How does being dunked in water have anything to do with trusting God? Jesus? And I think that's a great question. And that's why I like the clarity of this last passage we want to look at today, Colossians 2, in verse 13. It says, excuse me, verse 12, it says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. 
And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted, there's our word, you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. I've thought a lot about this subject. I've read a lot about it, thought a lot about it, had a lot of discussions on the subject of baptism. And I've thought and I've tried to think of a human response that God could call us to participate in that would communicate trust in a more significant way than baptism. And I can't think of it. And by the way, I I prefer, and in the notes you'll see it says, be baptized. I I prefer to use the term be baptized as opposed to get baptized. I hear a lot of people say, I got baptized. I need to get baptized. When you think about it used that way, it sounds like something you do. But when you talk about be baptized, you're trusting in what's being done to you. I think that's significant. Because I believe baptism is a, is a very humble response to the grace of God. And in fact, when you think about it, is there anything that God could call us to do that's more humbling than baptism? Is there anything God could call us to do that we do really nothing? You know, think about it. When someone's baptized, I know they may be put on some swim trunks and a t-shirt. You know, I understand that. And they maybe walk up on the stage or maybe walk into a body of water. But after that point, they do absolutely nothing. They truly surrender to let somebody else lower them down in the water. And they trust that they'll bring them back up. When I I baptize people, I tell them, I've baptized a lot of people. I've not lost anybody yet, okay? And I might not be that big a guy, but with the buoyancy of water, I can get anybody up. Why? Why is that important? Well, I think in baptism, it's this idea, I totally surrender and I trust. And I'm going to trust in what God will do for me instead of what I can do for myself. It's truly an act of humility to receive that which God gives by grace. Have you trusted Jesus to the point that you say, I'm going to trust totally, not in what I can do, but I'm going to trust totally in the death, the burial, and resurrection. Because Colossians 2 says that's what happens in baptism. You're trusting. You're united with the death, burial, and resurrection. I tell people, you're not trusting me. You're not trusting the person that's baptizing. You're not trusting the water. You're trusting the death the burial, and the resurrection. You see, that's the opportunity for someone to say, I'm going to put my full weight for the rest of my life and for all of eternity in what Jesus has done for me. Have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted him to the point that you're willing to believe even when you have questions? Are you willing to give up that which is pleasurable and even you're comfortable with to repent, to turn to that which he has better planned for you? Are you willing to confess 
publicly proclaim that he is Lord and that he will be a better leader of your life than you have been? And are you willing to surrender and say, I'm going to trust totally in the death, burial, and resurrection? Have you responded to Christ in that way? If you haven't, we're going to set aside a weekend, celebration weekend, when we're celebrating a lot of things. And we're going to invite people, and you can do it before then, because we have water ready every weekend. But we're going to invite anybody that's here that's never responded to God in that complete trust to act upon that faith, to put your trust into action that weekend. And so we encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ in that manner, I want to encourage you, circle that date and sign up to be a part of what God wants to do in your life. You know, at Southwest, we observe two outward faith acts that demonstrate our trust in Jesus. The one is baptism. The other is Lord's Supper. And every week when we take the Lord's Supper, we pass the bread and pass the cups. It's an It's a reminder of who we're trusting in. It's a reminder that we're not trusting in our goodness. We're trusting in the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, remember what Jesus did for you, for this free gift to be available. Scripture says to examine your heart. So during this time, ask yourself, am I really trusting in the one that I'm celebrating. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for how your word is clear. Father, sometimes things can be muddy and confusing, but I pray that today it's been clear. What does it mean to respond to your love? Help us during this time of communion truly respond to your love in our hearts. I pray that we'll examine ourselves as we take the bread, as we take the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for giving it all and sacrificing everything so that we could have life in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.